Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. So glad that you are here with us this morning, especially this morning. Uh, we, have, we have all kind of visitors, just like Pastor Matt said. We have kids visiting their parents and their grandparents. We have sisters coming in from all the way up north. We have family from all the way out west. We have uh, folks that just moved to the area from other places. So uh, home folks, it's on you. Don't let them out of the house until they've been greeted at least five times, all right? Make sure they feel welcome. Get them a cup of coffee. Invite them back. Tell them there'll be a seat next to you next week, and we'd love for them to come back. So we're glad all of you are here, especially today. We're starting a mini-series. That's right. Not just Netflix gets to have mini-series. We do, too. We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer for two weeks in a row this week and this next week as we prepare for our big day of prayer. I'll be telling you more about that in just a minute, but this is huge for us, the church, that we would spend a day in prayer, praying for the needs, of course, of of the church family and and for the families in the church, but also our community and even our world. So I know you'll want to be a part of that, but to prepare for that, we're going to dig into the Lord's prayer. If you want to learn how to pray, why not learn from the best, right? Jesus himself. In fact, here's a little test. Let's see. Let's see how you do. If I say these words, let's see what happens. Our Father... Who art in heaven. Yeah, that's really, I, I knew it. I, I, I'd get three or four words in and just automatically everything in us wells up and the words start coming out. Now, you might be of the old school King James Version crowd or you might have learned it in a children's version. But either way, when those words start, they just start to flow right out of you. Words you didn't even remember that you would memorize as a child. That is important. Here's the deal with the Lord's Prayer. It is important because most of us really fall into two categories. Some of us say, oh, don't ask me to pray, Pastor. I'm, I'm scared to death of speaking in front of us. I don't know what to say. If you ask me to pray, I might say the wrong thing and then ruin the prayer for everybody else, as if that's a thing. And then there's others of us, oh, they love to pray. Yeah, call on me, Pastor. Let me pray. And when they pray, it just flows out of them. It's so eloquent. It's so beautiful. It seems like they always say the right thing. Well, neither way is right because those that are afraid to pray because they might pray the wrong thing and those that are so eloquent, you know, they've, the problem with the eloquent ones is they're, they're so good at it because they've been doing it for so long and they've been using the same words pretty much for all of their life. There's no newness. There's no freshness. There's no depth to that. Most of us probably probably fall right in the middle. So how do we pray? This is exactly what happened to the disciples back in Jesus' day. They're good Jewish boys, grew up in Jewish homes, went to Sabbath school on Saturdays. They were taught the prayers, the ritual prayers of their day, the ritual prayers of their religion. Those prayers were memorized as children and recited from memory every opportunity, morning, noon, and night. And then, of course, on Sabbath and, of course, in the big high holy days, there wasn't the feeling involved. So that was their experience with prayer. And then they meet Jesus. Jesus didn't pray anything like that. They were sitting with Jesus, walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and Jesus would just break into prayer. And it was nothing like their rote memory, memorized, kind of spewed off quickly so they can get on to the meal or get on to the service or get out of the temple, whatever they were doing. Jesus prayed like he really meant it. You know, when Jesus talked to God, he was praying as if, as if someone was listening. When Jesus was praying, he would pause 
And, and, and he would listen as if someone was talking right to him. When Jesus would pray, he would pray so expectantly. He would pray with such authority. It's almost like he thought he was going to get an answer. And these guys are like, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray like that. We already know how to pray like us. It ain't really doing anything for us. We want to pray like you. And so, so Jesus taught them this prayer. Now, here's the deal. As we prepare for our big day of prayer, it makes sense that we would study this prayer of Jesus because we're telling Jesus the same thing. Jesus, we don't want to be like, like the ones that are kind of afraid to say anything because we might say the wrong thing or, or on the other end, those that just kind of spew uh, flowery words because it's what they learned as a kid or a teenager or as a, as a young adult and they're just spewing the same words they always spew. We don't want to be like either one of those two. We want to pray like we really mean it, like, like Jesus did with authority. But here's the problem with this prayer. This Lord's Prayer that we're about to dig into this week and next, this isn't a long list of of pithy statements. This isn't a, a deep theological study of the insights of prayer. This isn't some kind of magical words or formulas that if we just memorize, of course, in the right Bible translation, and we say it just right with the right inflection, then we kind of got God over a barrel, and he has to give us what we want. This is nothing like this. Remember what we said about prayer? We've said it many times. When we pray, we're asking God to change something. We talked about dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers are when we not only want God to change someone else or someone else's situation. Dangerous prayers are when we're asking God to change ourselves. So prayer is about change. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's different. We're not asking God to change others or other situations or other things. When we pray this prayer, God wants to change us. We're not changing his opinion. We're not changing his direction. We're not changing his plans. When we pray these words, we're inviting God. We're asking God. We're pleading with God to please God, change me and my heart. So, now's your last chance. If you stick around, you will never have the excuse, I didn't know. All right, you stayed. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't, you write there that little QR code on one of the chairs in front of you. You can aim your phone at that. It will open up. You can hit the button that says uh, Sermon Notes, or you can go on the Bible app, hit the word Events, and then the churches come up. Just choose our church. The, the, the passage will come up, and the different notes. You can even take notes in there. Jimmy takes notes old school way in a, in a notebook. That's awesome. There you go, Jimmy. God bless you. He takes great notes. Yeah, all right. Brother Phil, how about y'all? God bless y'all for doing it. Whether you do it old school, new school, however you do it, please, this is a really important passage. Folks, if we get this, As believers in Christ, if we get this, we're not just preparing for a day of prayer, as awesome as that will be. We're preparing for a life of prayer. So please, key in on this. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 5. We're going to make it about halfway through the Lord's Prayer this week, and we'll finish up next week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, see a pattern here? (laughs) When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think it will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need even before you ask him. 
All right, let's just stop right there. Before we dig into this passage and understand how we are to pray, Jesus very carefully demonstrates what we're not supposed to do. When, when you pray, don't do these things. Let's, let's look at what these things are. Number one, make sure we have the right commitment. Number one, make sure we have the right commitment. Did you see uh, how often we read that phrase? When you pray, in fact, look at verse five, when you pray, verse six, when you pray, verse seven, when you pray, you know the deal. If it's in the Bible, it's important. If the same word, the same idea is in the Bible, not twice, but three times in one little bitty passage, what do you think? Really, really, really important, right? So what is Jesus saying? He is expecting prayer. Now, I dug into this word when because that was interesting to me. Now, if Jesus is going to say something three times and make that big of a point about it, it must be pretty important. This word when, it doesn't mean if. Like, okay, if you pray, make sure you do it this way. Like, like if you've tried everything else and your last resort is prayer, then make sure you do it right. Or, or if you've already talked to the pastor, you've already talked to your parents, you've already talked to your friends, you've already uh, searched social media for the right answer, and none of that has come up right for you, then make sure you do it this way. It is not the word if. This word when means this, very specifically, that you are sure that something is going to happen, something is going to take place, you're 100% convinced of it, you're just not sure of the timing. That's what this word when means. You're sure it's going to happen. You are 100% convinced it will occur. You're just not sure of the timing. So let me give you some examples. Florida, summer, rain showers. Every day. It's going to happen. Between three and five, you're not exactly sure when, but it's going to come, and it's going to come hard, right? Uh, another example. Uh, birth of a baby. You know it's coming somewhere between eight and a half and nine and a half, ten months. That baby is going to come. You're not sure when, but you know it's coming. Another example, Florida football. The Florida Gators are going to win the SEC championship. You know it's coming. You're convinced. None of us are sure when. Right? So, so here's the deal. This is that kind of a word. So when Jesus is saying, you, I, I know it's coming, I know you're going to pray, this is what God's saying. He's saying, I have the entire storehouses of heaven ready at the wait. I have the floodgates of heaven on the ready. As soon as I give the word, they open and start blow, uh, flowing blessings and, and answers and, and, and changing and fixing and healing things. All of that is waiting. I am ready. Your prayers do not take God by surprise. Your prayers do not wake God from a slumber. He is not taken off guard by you coming up with a new one ever. The Bible says he is waiting there, prepared, almost at the edge of his seat. The moment you, his child, speaks a word of prayer, that door opens and the floodgates open and the blessings and the answers and the power and the, and the grace and the forgiveness and everything he wants to give you, it is there. Second pitfall we might find is the show. Look at verse 5 again. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. That's how you knew it. You knew we were going to get there. Church is full of them, right? <laughs> well, this word hypocrite is actually unusual in that we say it in English almost like you say it in Greek. It really has almost the same meaning. In Greek, it would be either a mask that was worn in a theater production or, or, or the person wearing a mask in a theater production, a performer. So Frankie puts on a mask, walks on stage, and he becomes Sammy. Mary puts on a mask, she walks on stage, and she becomes Susie. Susie is not Mary. Susie is Susie, as long as that mask is there. When she takes the mask off, she goes back to being Mary. They're performers. 
they're playing a role if not their true self. Here's the problem with performers. They're always performing. They're looking for an opportunity to be in front. They're looking for an opportunity to show up and to show off. In fact, the, the Bible says that they, that they go to the, to the synagogues. They, they love that home crowd cheer. They, they love getting that response from the people that know them and love them and build their street credit among those. But the Bible said these turkeys, <laughs> they were so smart. They had different prayers you had to do th- during the day, the morning, the afternoon, the evening prayers. These turkeys were so smart, they would work out their path through the city on their daily air. So they would wind up right in the city square, right in the middle of town, right at afternoon prayer time. They say, oh boy, look at the time. I guess I better pray. And they kind of hold forth in front of everybody. This is not what God's talking about. That stand up and be seen and pray out loud, bringing the attention to ourselves. It was all about the show, all about outward and nothing on the inside. Your prayers are not about what you say. Your prayers are not about what you perform. And folks, please don't hear me say that it's wrong to lead others in prayer. Quite often, whether it's me or one of our deacons or another one of our church leaders, they would come up here and they would lead us all in prayer. And that's a beautiful thing. In fact, on on, on our day of prayer, that will happen quite often that someone might lead us all in prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not, of course, what I'm talking about. But those that spend more time publicizing and and outwardly focused rather than inwardly focused, that is a pitfall. And then the third pitfall are the magic words. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Now, who are the pagans? Well, that's you. (laughs) Oh, me too. Uh, Pagans would have been the nations. Or, 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 or the foreigners, or, or the Gentiles, the Bible also says. All these words are synonymous. It pretty much means the godless, the non-Jewish folks. So that's pretty much you and me, the people that were outside the people of God. So, so these folks had other religions, right? The people of God had their prayers. They would have been memorized, and they would have been spoken back to God, but in a familiar language and in a familiar tradition. Now, the pagans, they had funny words and funny ways and different ideas, and it sounded like like magic to the Hebrew ears. It sounded like incantations and magical formulas. And for the pagans, the more they said these magic words, the more they repeated them, the faster they repeated them, that, that brought them special power is what what they believed in those days. And this is exactly what God is telling us not to do. When Jesus says, don't be like them, don't continue babbling and repeating and saying over and over again as if that somehow has power, that has no power. These, these without thought, without consideration, without uh, preparation, these mechanical prayers that we just spew out because what we learned as a child, it is literally meaningless, the Bible says. You must pray from your heart. Take the time, and if you get out half the words, it's okay. You're not graded on the volume of words that you spew in a prayer. God is calling us to pray from inside and not from outside. But we, we need to continue on what, what is God calling us to do. If we are to pray, we need to understand to whom we are praying. Look at verse 9. To whom are we praying? We're not praying to ourselves. We just said that. We don't want to be like the hypocrites, nor do we want to be like the pagans. We're not praying to or for ourselves. We're not even praying for the others. Remember the the hypocrites, they love to pray in the synagogue and the church in front of us. We're not praying for each other. You're not even praying for the pastor. This isn't a pass or fail. You're not being graded on this. You're not praying for your church leaders. You're praying to God. Now let's let's dig into verse 9. This is where it starts. Verse 9. This then 
is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, let's dig into that a little bit. Prayer. Remember that word prayer? We've had it before. Prayer uh, is the same word all through this passage, and pretty much everywhere else we see that word prayer in the New Testament. It's the Greek word prosuchomai. Prosuchomai means an exchange. We, in prayer, we come and we exchange our wishes, our desires, our wants for God's wishes, God's wants, and God's desires. I come to him with my shopping list, but I'm not sure my shopping list is his shopping list. So in prayer, we have this communication, this dialogue, this wrestling match at times. God, is this of you? God, is this from you? God, is this for you? Or is this me? And we exchange the things that are important to us for things that are important to him. I'll give you an example. We lived in, uh, in Europe for many, many years, and during those years, we had mission teams that would come. They would visit us for a week or two weeks and do ministry with us. We'd always give them a bunch of advance notice of what they should wear and what they're going to eat and how they should prepare and, and get everything ready. And we'd always say, and make sure you stop by your bank and exchange some dollars for some Deutschmarks or for some euros because your dollars, they won't work over here. Well, every once in a while, a team would show up, and they would have prepared everything we asked them to prepare, but they didn't change any money. I said, why didn't you change money? They said, we don't need to change money. Everyone takes dollars. I said, really? They said, yeah, every mission trip we go on, they take dollars. Where you been? Tijuana. <laughs> Toronto. We went to Jamaica once. I said, well, it didn't work here. Your money, your dollars, has no value in Aschersleben East Germany. Here they only take Deutschmarks. You're going to have to exchange your money because your money, your wishes, your desires, your dreams, your wants has no value. God says we will exchange that. So that is the prayer. So we're praying to God. And it says, pray this way. Our. Stop right there. This is incredibly important. For, for, this, is like, this is like one of those life lessons for Christians in, in any sermon on any Sunday. It is about us. It is not about you. It does not say my father. It doesn't say me and my father. It says our father. This is huge. We are not a group of individualists. We are not in this alone. We are not fighting a battle like, like many of the great Hollywood movies want to teach us about, about being a true American. We are about being a community, a family. We belong together. God is calling us together, but the world, the culture that we live in, they would want to isolate us. They would want to tell us, you're stronger alone. The, the world, the, the culture we live in would want to pull us away, pull us apart, tell us we need to go and be alone, hunker down, and work on me for a while. If I I'm strong enough, then I can battle this and I can do this. Our pain and our need isolates us. We've all seen it through this last year of COVID. What COVID did, the fear of that and the fear of, of not only strangers, but the fear of friends, the fear of brothers and sisters isolated us. And as we began taking a step out of our homes and out of our isolation, the power that we found through the Spirit of God and the presence of our brothers and sisters was tremendous. So it is so important that we begin every prayer with our thinking not only of our own needs, thinking not only of our own prayers, but thinking of the prayers of our community, our family. Then it says the word father. This is an important word. In, in this passage, 
use the word father, a normal word in Greek. In the Luke version of the same story, he actually uses the Aramaic word Abba, which is like, like daddy for, for you and me in English. In Miami, I grew up in Miami. My, my family is not Cuban-American, but, uh, but many of my friends were, and so they would call their dads puppy. And so what we kind of got into the habit of calling my dad Poppy. Uh, I don't know if he, he liked it, but we thought it was cute and funny. When we lived in Germany, that's where we used to live. In Germany, the children called their dad Papa, so my kids called me Papa. Those are terms of endearment, terms of closeness. When you, when you call someone Papa or Poppy or a Baba, those, those terms of love and endearment, this is who we're praying to. We are not praying to a taskmaster. We're not praying to a mean old guy in the sky just waiting to pop us on the head the next time we make a mistake. We've talked about this before. God is always waiting for us with his arms wide open. He is never standing before us with his arms crossed and shaking his head in disappointment at us. Picture the most loving father you've ever seen. When a little boy, a little girl comes running to him naturally, it's who he is. He gets down on one knee and he welcomes that child into his arms. This is who we're praying to. This is who has your best interest at his heart. That's how much he loves you. It says, our father who is in heaven. Now, this is important. Yes, he is our father that bends down, scoops us up, hugs us tight, and is ready to give us the very best gifts he can give us. But he's also in heaven. Now, this doesn't mean a distancing from us, a a separation from us, a holier than thou from us. This is God saying that I am also otherworldly. I am also in heaven. This gives him not only all power, but all seeing ability. He's in it for the long game. God is not, God is not our co-pilot. <laughs> he doesn't take over when we get tired. He doesn't take the wheel when we think it's too much for us. Either God is your pilot or he's nothing. God is not your homeboy. God doesn't hang out. You know, when you're up for it, when you're not up for it, you hang at home. Sometimes you hang with him. No, no. God is all in. He's your counselor, but he is also God in heaven. And that gives him the perspective that you and I do not have. We ask for gifts. We ask for answers. We ask for, for, for solutions for our problems. And sometimes the answer is yes, immediately. Sometimes the answer is yes, but wait. Sometimes, sometimes the answer is no. We always get an answer, but sometimes the answer is no because God doesn't just see to tomorrow. He sees all the way into next week and to next year and to the end of our lives. And not only the end of our lives, but the end of time. And all of this takes place as a part of his plan. God is in heaven and says, and hallowed be thy name. This is one of those Bible words that we don't always get a hold of. Hallowed comes from holy. So we're saying, God, make your name holy. What does that mean? Holy means separate or, or set apart. So what we're praying at the very beginning of this prayer, God, oh God, May your name be set apart, be separate from all other names, all other powers, all other controls in my life. In the Jewish thought, when Jesus would have first prayed this prayer and taught this prayer as disciples, for, for the Jewish mind, to, to, for God to, to uh, hallow his name or make his name holy or separate, it would have meant for him to vindicate his name to his enemies. He would have fulfilled his promises and he would have silenced his enemies. God would have brought his kingdom and he would have accomplished 
his will. That's what we're praying when we're praying this. God, may your will be done here as it is already done in heaven. May, may we begin seeing here on earth what you're already seeing in heaven. God, make this place heaven. Thirdly, what is it that we're praying for? Now, this is a biggie. I want us to pay attention to this because this is scary. Look at verse 10 now. I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to pray it. I'm kind of afraid to say it out loud. I don't really want it to stick in your mind just yet. This is the part where you're going to need some time to think and consider what you do next. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't I want that to stick in our head? I don't want that to slide into our brain like it's something we could easily memorize and simply quote the next time we're praying in front of the folks. I don't want this to become a formula that we repeat off at special high holy days in the life of this church. I don't want these words to be something that we can just spew off without even thinking about it. In fact, it would be preferable to me as your pastor that you not even pray these words until you're ready to pray these words. What is he saying? He's saying, God, I'm praying that your kingdom would be done and not my kingdom. You cannot pray for God's kingdom to come as long as you are still intimately, intricately, 100% into building your own kingdom. As long as I am building the kingdom of David, I cannot be praying for the kingdom of God. They're radically different kingdoms. Let me tell you what I mean. We don't have time to jump all the way to it, but in Matthew chapter 13, just a couple chapters ahead, Jesus himself describes the kingdom of God. There's about six or seven passages where he describes the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like. There's about six or seven of these in Matthew 13. Let me just give you the, the Cliff Notes version and explain what I'm talking about, how different the kingdom of God is from the kingdom of David or the kingdom from you and me, okay? The kingdom of God is like, Matthew 13, is like a pearl of great price, it's like a buried treasure. What is God saying with that? What is Jesus saying with that? He's saying, it's worth everything you have. It is okay. It is advisable. It is the best thing you could do is to sell everything you own and invest it all in the kingdom. You need to be all in in the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God is. Now, how is the kingdom of you and me? Well, we are suffering from FOMO. We're not all in on anything. We are scared to death of missing out on something. So we love a la carte menus. We love drop-in parties. We love no-contract phone deals. We love our lifelong return policies. We love no commitment, and we are suffering from FOMO. We're not all in in anything, whether it's church or whether it's life, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our child raising, whether it's our social friendships. We're not all in on anything, and yet this is exactly what God's kingdom looks like. So you cannot be building your kingdom and at the same time be building his. Secondly, what does it look like? The story about the, the, the field of wheat that is filled with weeds, and the fish net that is filled with both good fish and bad fish. So what, is, what does the kingdom look like? Well, the kingdom of God is, is pretty, pretty colorful. There's good and there's bad. There's, there's those that believe in Jesus and those that don't believe in Jesus. There are those who will go to heaven and there are those that will not go to heaven. There are those that think alike and those that don't think like others. There are those that vote one way 
And there are those who vote another way. And they're all mixed together. But at the end, guess who gets to separate them out? The Bible says clearly in both stories, at the end, God himself will separate the weeds from the wheat. God himself will separate the good fish from the bad fish. Now, how is it in my kingdom? My kingdom is very different. In my kingdom, we're all alike. We're perfect because I picked them. And if they're not like me, I just cancel them out. Oh, that's right. I don't have to wait to the end. I can cancel them out today with one swipe, with one click, with one past glance. I choose who's a part of my world. We're not all different. We do all vote alike. We do all think alike. We do all talk alike. Because in my kingdom, we're homogenous. We're all like me because I am king. How can you build your kingdom and at the same time pray for God's kingdom? And thirdly, the mustard seed and the yeast. Both of these stories give the same lesson. The, the, the kingdom of God, it starts so small, but it spreads. In fact, the Bible says that mustard seed, though it is the smallest seed, it grows into the largest plant in the garden. The Bible says, though it is a little yeast in the dough, it will spread throughout all the dough. That's how God's kingdom is. It starts small, it starts slow, but then it grows and it spreads and spreads to the othermost ends of the earth. How is my kingdom? Here's the deal. If it ain't a big bang, if it ain't a big start, if it won't outline everything that's entailed, everything that's involved, everything that I'm going to need to know at the beginning, I ain't joining. I want to know. I don't want to start small. I want to see big. And when it's big, I want it to welcome me in and it stays big. I don't want to start small. I don't want to start slow. I don't want to watch it grow. I want it to see big. And I want God to explain it to me before or I don't want to be a part of it. Show me the money, Lord. When we pray, God, your will, your kingdom, this isn't some kind of Christian fatalism where we're just allowing God to kind of do his thing and we're sitting back, twiddling our thumbs, saying, whatever, I can't control it anyway. Who am I to say anything? Who am I to argue with God? God, do your thing. You do you and I'll do me. This isn't at all what God's saying. In fact, God wants us at this point, especially this point, to get to a place where we can pray and honestly pray from the bottom of our hearts, not, not God, whatever, or, God, you're going to do whatever you want anyway, so why even bother? But God's asking us to come to a place where we can pray and know that God knows best. That we can pray and that we know that God wants the best for me. And thirdly, that we can pray and know that God will do the best for me. If you can pray and know that, folks, imagine what that would do to your prayer life knowing, trusting that God has the best in plans for you. He knows the best and he will do the best so that when you pray, whatever the answer is, it is the best for you. Imagine how that would change your prayer life. And then the final passage right there, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it's interesting he threw that in. I'm glad he did. That makes it much easier to explain and to understand. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about this for a second. What do you think heaven is like in terms of God's will? Heaven, okay? No demons, no evil one. The Bible says there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering. It, it, it's like well, it's like heaven. <laughs> what do you think God's will works like in heaven? 
smooth sailing. There is zero pushback. God only needs to think it and it's already happening. God only needs to speak it and all of his people are already running to make sure it happens. There is a seamless, there is a seamless uh, 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 motion from God wanting something and it actually happening. There is zero pushback or barriers in the way. Now, how is it in terms of God's will here on earth? It's nothing like that. It is non-stop pushback. There's, this world is full of men and women fighting for themselves and fighting against the will of God. We are all here to give pushback. We are all here to get our own way. How can you at the same time get your way and God get his way? We are pushing back. It's like you may have heard the story about the, the Navy ship that was coming into a new port late at night. It was very dark. As it's pulling into the port, they see a light right on the horizon coming right at him. And the, the first mate gets on the, on the radio and says, attention, attention, this is a, the Navy uh, ship, SS, MS, motor ship, help me Navy boys, MS, SS, thank you, SS John Smith coming into port, we're on a direct collision course, please change your course. A little bit of silence. Hello, this is Bob. We can't change our course. You'll have to change yours. The captain's sitting right in there. He grabs the radio. He screams in, this is Captain Jerry Jones of the SS, John Smith. We are a Navy destroyer filled with 1,000 fighting men and women. You better change your course immediately or we're going to plow right over you. Silence. Uh, this is Bob. I'm the lighthouse keeper. We can't change our course. Folks, folks, for too long, we've been so puffed up. We are the Navy destroyer. We are all that, and we're coming through. We're coming in hot and heavy. We know what we're doing. We know where we're going, and nothing Nothing is going to give pushback. Nothing is going to stop us. Nothing is going to keep us from getting our will. How can that be you? And at the same time you pray, Oh, Father, may your will be done here on earth, my earth, as it is in your heaven. This is what God is asking us to change for. Many of the young married couples I, I, I marry are in the same boat. And those marriage quotes, those marriage vows, they're ready to say anything. And they mean it in that moment. I don't know if they thought it through, this whole uh, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, for, for good health and also in bad health. They're just ready to say yes. You, you know how that is. Uh, not, not just young couples. We've had a few older couples recently get married. The, the women, they're just excited about the big day. They're excited about selling settling down and, and their first home and their family and nesting the guys they're just excited about. Well, the honeymoon. But, it, it, you know, they're just excited and, and they're, you know, they're kind of ready to say whatever has to be said. They haven't really thought through all that they said in that day. And the, the months turn into years. The years turn into decades. And the problems and the kids and the money and the health and all these things. Folks, this is why it's so important for us to get this right now. This is a prayer that will change not only your life and the life of our church, but our prayers could change this entire world. What if the next great revival started right here in Cape Coral because you guys got this right? Can you imagine the power in a praying church? 
if we get this right this week and next, we are not asking God to change our world. This is not a better way to go through our long shopping list of prayer requests. We are actually asking God to win and us to lose. Let's pray. Father God, this prayer is certainly your prayer because you always go for the heart. This is not the easy win. This is not the quick fix. This is not the simple formula. Father, this is your attempt at breaking our hearts and bringing us to a place where you can actually talk to us, commune with us, and communicate to us. Oh, Father, I pray that I and that we as a church family, that we get this right. Break our hearts, Father, for what it is that breaks your heart. As we continue to pray and grow in our ability to pray, Father, I, I just pray that we're able to do it the way you taught your disciples, that we pray from the bottom of our heart, God, your will, your kingdom, here in Cape Coral as in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.